Looking for love? Someone to vex you? You've come to the right Jane Austen character, with one successful match made into a successful marriage of a week. I, Emma Woodhouse, the matchmaker of Highbury, am now open for your business. One half of the world cannot understand the pleasures of the other, but I can certainly say that it is a pleasure to stick my nose where it does not belong. You are my new heroine, whom no one but myself likes, but soon you shall know love, because I shall make it so. Fall in love today. Send word through your servant who will then tell my servant who will then tell me. Today. Now entering Greener Pastures, the podcast that clouds and meows at your door to get inside but suddenly wants to leave again. Cassie Soliday here, flying solo. Today I'm interviewing Kyrie Gray about writing humor, drawing illustrations, and editing her publication, Jane Austen's Wastebasket. <laughs> Welcome, Kyrie. Uh, so glad you could join us. Hi, good to be here. Ta-da! Okay, <laughs> so let's start with the big question on everyone's mind. Uh, have you found Top Bun success? I have not. It is, um, no matter what I do, I have a side-leaning bun. It wants to go there. And unless I like use one of those pillows that you can wrap your hair around, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's going it's going to the left or the right, and I've just kind of accepted it. I I, I really hope you do, and then you'll give me the secret someday because I also cannot get a t- I cannot put my hair in a top bun to save my life. If I do, I'll release like a really like a really expensive online oh, class. Yeah. That is totally what you should do. <laughs> everything has an online class these days, so might as well be top buns. I'm sure there are already top bun classes out there. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do a Google search later about this. Uh, So from your work online, it's no secret that you're a lover of classic literature and history. So a couple questions. Who's your favorite author, you'd say? Um, I mean, so like besides like some of the I I do really like Jane Austen. uh, And so that's obvious just because she was the one who kind of inspired the publication to start with. But I would say MKF Fisher. Uh, She is a food writer from the 19... 40s, 50s, um, and then onward, and she just, her writing is so lyrical, and it's, it's like you're sitting down with someone, and they're just talking to you about food, but I, so I really love her writing, and then of yeah. course, um, I, Allie Brush. Oh, she's great. She, I mean, she's like by far one of my, like, the, one of the original people I ever started reading online, and is a huge inspiration, I, if not, not, I know not just to me, but to like so many people who do, like, illustrated humor a uh, favorite Jane Austen novel persuasion why you know all of her other ones it's just a lot of them feature very young heroines and you know I think isn't Elizabeth Bennett 22 or 21 and that's even getting kind of that seems like older but Anne in persuasion she's like 29 I think or but she's got she's getting over the hill in Jane Austen's world but like that's that's a novel like as I'm getting older that speaks to me more than the others. And it's just because like we all make terrible decisions when we're younger that we regret. And there's something about and you get angry about it. And then especially when you see someone else who maybe hurt you, how you react to them. And that novel, I think, is for older fans that it will hit them in a way I don't think it will hit younger people because mm-hmm. they haven't come to realize the things that could have been yet. They're not at that stage in their lives. And it's still, you know, it's Jane Austen. So it's got a nice ending. So I love it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's my favorite. Oh, that's so cool. That's one that I haven't read yet. And I'm going to bump it up in my uh, TBR list. 
I think that like reading these, especially Jane Austen books, it's like, gosh, like there was so many, like so much red tape to get anything done or to meet anyone or to be with people or like, uh, just like the system of society. Right. And it makes me really appreciate all the freedoms we have today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, it's definitely also specific, a very specific class who definitely had rules that were maybe only for them. So I think like when we see the Jane Austen world, we're seeing a specific kind of rigidness that maybe didn't exist in other classes, but it's, mm, it is, it's, it's so, it's so fun to read, especially if you read the persuasion, you're seeing this family who's come like, you know, they're very, very wealthy and then they're middle-class and they're like, Oh, we're, we're so broke. Let's go to Bath. And that's the, that's the choice. But then you, like if you read Mansfield park and you see Fanny's family, like they're dirt broke and they've got all these kids living in like a shamble house in the city. And so, you know, there's, she doesn't really, you don't really get to see people who don't have much in Jane Austen's world, I find, but like Mm. you do. And, you know, I don't know how to say it. Like, it feels weird to like love these very genteel people who have problems that I probably don't, I, you know, those aren't my problems. I'm not like, oh, I have to let out my house to a naval captain because we can't afford, afford it. But mm-hmm. you look past that, like it's very, she writes very human characters and Anne Elliot is among just the best of them. So how about your favorite time period? Oh, if I had to choose a favorite time period, um, I do think it would either be the Victorian era, just because I love a lot of the literature that came out of that. I love a lot of the like publications, like they had so many small magazines. And so you, like when you want primary sources of historian, there is just so much available to you from that. And a lot of it is online now. So you can find a lot of those digital archives or you can get your friend to give you their password so you can use their JSTOR, which is also helpful. Um, if I had to pick another one, I just fashion-wise, I love the Tudor era. Love it. It's so decadent and it's it, it, it's it's just over the top in some of like the fashion sense and also just the political intrigue. It's incredibly... Like, I don't know if you've ever like read like too many fashion books, but like when you they, when you like read the kind of things they bought and how like how expensive each garment was and what went into each one, they loved clothes and it shows. Well, it had so many layers and decorations. And so when did you realize that you could take all of this love of like literature and history and mesh it with comedy? Like, how did you get into comedy in the first place? Um, so I started doing improv in college. So that was my first like, foray into comedy um I was actually rushing that's the wrong word but you're 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 applying for a fraternity it was a business fraternity and I had gone to a few improv shows but when I joined this fraternity I was trying to join this fraternity and I got it because it was a it was a professional fraternity it's very hard not to get in uh but you had to go on dates with members and I got a date with a person who was I knew I'd seen on the improv stage and he's like what do you want to do for our date um, they really just stopped calling them dates. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I am too scared to go to the open practice. Like, would you be willing to go with me? And that way, if I get super embarrassed and never want to go back, people only assume it's because it was a date and not because I was a coward. And so I went to that and I fell in love with it and I kept doing it for four years. And then uh, I actually lived in Asia. I lived in China for about from 2011 to 2019. No, 18, 19. I got to remember that. And that's where I started doing stand-up. So that was, honestly, I just, I found, it was a kind of a community and I found it that way. I just needed to be out doing something. And that was, a, there was a very small stand-up scene in Beijing at the time. 
and I just kind of fell into it. Like when you do, when we started doing stand up in like Beijing, like it was, it, I hadn't done stand up in the U.S., so I didn't know that it was so different. But like there, you go, you get like five minutes or more a night. Some places you got six or eight minutes. You could say, "Hey, I'm going to be late. Can you put me on later on the list?" There'd be like you know ten to twenty people, and so you got lots of stage time at the peak. I think of the time, like our the stand up scene there. When I was there, you could get seven nights, not seven, but like six nights a week. You could probably get five, 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 so like thirty to forty minutes on a stage, and you had pretty like there were sometimes, yeah, there were sometimes where you had like very little people in the crowd, but often you could get like a full packed house. But it was generally the same few groups of people who'd come in. So, like, even though there would be, you know, forty to sixty people in the audience who weren't just stand up, it would be the expat crowd for the English, you know, for the English scene. That was what I was in. Then there was a Chinese scene. So sometimes they people did both. Um, often they just did one. But because uh, it was the same crowd, they'd complain if they heard the same jokes. So it was there was a lot of pressure to write constantly. So that way. You wouldn't bore the audience because they're like, oh, I, you know, they complain. Oh, I heard that joke last time, so you had to like tell them. But I have to practice this because if I do a show where you're not there, like I need <laughs> to know this joke will work. And so in the states, I got here and I was shocked. It, it was like, oh, there are sixty people, and you're on if or you're on if you're lucky if you get it by like a random drawing. And sometimes you could be there for hours, so you couldn't just say, oh, can you put me on later? Unless I think you'd been probably on the scene for a while and you knew the host, but that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, no, I was very lucky that I got to do stand up in like, you know, Beijing and Shanghai first because like I was able to get all that stage time and really like hone that craft there. Yeah, that's fantastic. You're so right about here. It is a lot more <laughs> difficult to get stage time, and people do tend to like reuse jokes so that they get really good at telling them to a crowd. And that's, and that's good. You're saying I think they should. It's just yeah, it's yeah. Audiences are always new too, or there's no audience. Both are fine. Yeah, you're cultivating a set to take around. <laughs> and, uh, so, what about art? When did you get into art? Um, so, I've all I've never been good at art. That is what I'll say to start. I started really doodling in 2014, 2015, and then I really started to kind of like start to practice mostly mostly drawing and marker work. And I was, I think, one of my first pieces I ever submitted humor wise was um, to Belladonna. And it was called, um, like, um, do you remember when I think, I forgot her name. She's the political pundit. Uh, she did the gun yoga pants. But, like, when she came out with that, the neck, like, that night, I sat up all night drawing yoga positions for your gun yoga pants. And, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so, like, it's in there. Like, that and then Belladonna's took it. And I was so happy. And I'm like, okay, maybe I have a future as an artist. Um, I don't. But I did see, like, the benefit of, like, showing images because I've, I've you know I like New I love New Yorker I like McSweeney's I like those like when you can see that I think New Yorker is more famous for having images than McSweeney's but I just it's so fun to like see how people's brains are working through images and not sometimes just words because like those pictures literally can tell a thousand words or they can even be the punchline like there's they're so they're so useful if you know how to just like communicate through drawing yeah, you had this piece uh, called Teapot Standards Have Got to Go. I don't feel like that one could have been done with text as effectively because it's such a visual joke, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I totally agree with that. I mean, how do you know when a joke is better written or drawn out? Sometimes you can say to yourself, is there enough here 
to write. So often I'll get something that is like, I'll get like short lists, very short, less than a minute. And I'm, they'd be better if they were drawn because part of it is just like giving people something that, you know, it feels like you put time into. It looks like you put more time into drawing maybe than you put into writing 10 sentences. That's just true sometimes. I don't, it's not always. And also like that teapot joke. Um, I had a series of like nursery rhymes updated for modern times. And that, you know, that I, I would have added it there if I thought of it at the time. But I was just like trying to get on my pants after, you know, I think a lot of us who've been hanging out inside uh, have gone up a size or two and that is me included but i just started singing like i'm a little teapot because i was thinking of that line short and stout and i'm like wait a minute <sighs> and i just kind of like you know drew out the little the little blocks and then i was like okay i'm just gonna do this and especially because i could animate it too and i think that's also really helpful so yeah it was just kind of like i just knew that i couldn't just put up a simple rhyme i had to put up the images to kind of go with it uh, but like right. anytime you have like, especially when you have like idea that's very tweety, like, you know, like, oh, this would be a good tweet. Can you make a comic about it? Because you have the setup and the, you know, the punchlines, you can draw those and you have a piece versus if you were to just write, you know, five sentences. And you've started doing animation kind of recently, right? Mm-hmm. And, and is there any reason for that? Uh, a couple. So, well, one, um, I've been learning After Effects and that's fun. But After Effects can like, if you're, if you're new to it, takes a long time to animate something. Um, so Procreate, which is the um, app I use on my uh, my iPad, that one is they, they've been introducing like better and better animation features, and they're so good. Like especially when you're like, oh, I want to make I make a quick GIF, or you know, I, I want to make this image a little more appealing. And especially when you're doing comics and um, you need people to hang out and read your comic. Um, it's very, you can, you can, like, um, there's a, I think her name is Sarah D. She's another comic artist on Medium, but she does a really, like a lot of really good comics that were that you, like, you have to stay because you need to sit and read them. And there's something, I think people scroll through comics really quickly sometimes, but if there's animation or something moving, they'll look a little more closely. And there's times where you want them to look a little more closely and just go like, you know, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to reveal something for these image, you know, just hang out for a second I, I like the organic thinking with that too uh, wh at what point does the illustrations detract from the writing or vice versa if there's you know, when there's when they're same kind of same thing when you're writing a piece if there's nothing there there's nothing there so I have a few pieces that probably don't they just they honestly weren't good I think illustration can always add but I don't think I think if there's nothing really there piece wise there's there's not adding anything because there's nothing to add to so I'm trying to think mm -hmm. of one. I, I've had one, I think, where um, it didn't do very well. And when I look back, I'm like, you know what? It wasn't great. I think it was my scary haunted house one because my joke was just basically like, you know, the people selling, trying to sell you online courses are the real, are the real terror. Um, and I mean, <laughs> as a joke, I, I respect anybody's, you know, I, I respect the hustle of anyone. So you guys go forth. But <laughs> it was, they were, I had fun drawing them, but it didn't truly have a good setup or punchline. It was just like, it would have been a tweet probably. And it wouldn't have been a very good one. And, um, but there is, that is kind of a benefit of having your own publication or publishing on medium in particular, but like you can test things. And if something falls flat, it just does. And that might just be like the stand-up experience talking. Not everything you do is going to work. And you kind of just have to trust your gut I laughed my I laughed a little bit myself. I was I'm looking back. I'm like, okay, you know what? Not my strongest, not my strongest bit. But 
so what? I have all that other stuff that show, you know, that people can look at. It gives me more practice. You know, it helps me build the habit of just being okay with people like not reacting well to something. I'm not, you know, don't, if something doesn't work when you're drawing or you're writing, don't just, don't sit around and be sad about it because it just happens. Everyone has flops. Everyone has successes. Please understand that I am but looking out for your best interest. Sure, I matched you successful on my first try to a handsome, rich, blue-eyed man with bountiful estates across England and France. But what I now realize is that I'm in love with you. Emma Woodhouse, 21 years old, matchmaker of Highbury. It is incomprehensible to me that you would take the first offer of marriage and not play the field. Let me get a shot. It is very unfair to judge anybody without an intimate knowledge of their situation, and I'm happy to show you my situation happening beneath the stress. Please write me. Hop in your carriage and come over. Let me take a turn around your garden. Today so i also read that in your Substack that you you are okay with bombing and you have such a healthy outlook on it and it was it just doing stand-up that really made you embrace that or was there like anything else that influenced that stand-up is a big part of it um i don't think you can you don't really bomb and improv so much because like there's a group aspect where you're working together so when you fail you fail together and you make a joke about it but when you bomb and stand up it hurts because you're alone and you're just, you can feel and you're just like I have another five minutes on the stage and this audience hates me and it's really hard to just oh god uh so yeah there's and so you either you either build a thick skin or you don't and that's part of it but also like I think I've been publishing on medium and around the internet since 2015, 2016. And you just, you know, I have, I have had been very lucky that I've had people who follow me who have basically said, you got to work on your grammar and your spelling because it detracts so much when you can't. So like just knowing that my, my word skills were not as good back in the day um, has helped, you know, like I, I got plenty of mean comments and I've also taken those down and rewritten them, which was a thing you could do back then. But I, I think I have well over 400 stories. I probably have, well, I have, I have a lot. Um, last year, I think I got like 200 like, humor pieces up. And some of them did very well. Some did terribly. And it's, you just kind of go, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I'm still trying to, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at submitting to the bigger publication. And that's been my goal this year is to submit to the bigger publications. I got a rejection from McSweeney's like yesterday or the day before. And I didn't like, you know, I think maybe a year ago, that would have made me so sad for two or three days. And now I'm like, that's okay. I like, you know, better to have submitted than not to have submitted at all. I mean, you just have to, if you're going to do any kind of humor, you have to be okay with bombing. And part of that, I think, is just making sure you get outside your circle sometimes and see what they're saying about your stuff. Like, yeah, you're writing for a target audience, but it depending if that's the audience you always want to write for, cool, stick with it. But if you're trying to write for maybe a, a different kind of humor or a different audience, see what people outside your own bubble think. Cause you, sometimes I've had people who, um, well, well back in time, but who were just overly nice about my content. And you know what? I wasn't writing very well back then. So they were, they were great friends, but not very good critics. 
Yeah, I, I've had that experience too, where like you love compliments, but it doesn't necessarily help us grow. So, so talking about your Medium publication, so you've been posting online since 2015, 16, but like when did you decide to make your own publication on Medium? Uh, 2016, was, and um, I was still struggling to get acceptances into big ones, and I knew it was because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't writing at the top of you know any pile, and I said, it's because I'm not practicing. Like I used to suck at stand up. I got better when I did it every day. I'm going to write humor every day. And so I'm instead of like always sending it off to Haven or Pickle Fork, those were the two, two of the, besides Slackdaw, those are two other publications at the time. Um, and Haven, obviously the Haven is still around, but when you're in a big publication with a lot of other writers and there's a lot of things being published every day, your stuff can get buried. So I wanted to have a place where like my content wouldn't get buried right away, you know, just, just give it a little more of a chance. And also it would be a place where I'm like, I know I'm always going to have an acceptance here because I am the editor. So that was actually the reason I did it was I needed to practice because I'm like, one day I'm going to like be good at this. And I wrote a lot of terrible stuff and I cannot tell you <laughs> how much of it I've taken down and rewritten and just like... Because like once again, back then you could do that. If I will say this, if you're writing on the platform like it's your own blog or it's Medium, and you can, you can take things down if you rewrite them. That is fine. And I, I actually, after like, give yourself time to become better at the craft. But take a look at some of your old stuff and see if you can take the same concept and make it different and make it better. Because sometimes you go look back. Uh, I think I have a few older old stories on the platform and. I think it was Roy the Alternative Facts Boy. And there's another one that was like Trump at 2,500 feet, which was a riff on the uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. One. I actually enjoyed that one. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, it was back when I was trying to write political humor. And I just realized I don't write very good political humor at all. And I also, I enjoy reading it when it's really good, but I think political humor is one of the hardest kinds to write. So that's one reason I don't put it in the publication is because I'm like, I'm not going to publish or write enough of it to make it a, a feature. Yeah. It'd be kind of like if people liked it, they'd keep coming back for that, but you'd have yeah. none there. So yeah, totally get that. And starting Greener Pastures, we have conversations like that with like, how much of what do we take and how to balance it and everything. When did people start like uh, sending you, like when did you open up submissions? I actually didn't open up submissions until like a year and a half had passed. I was, I'm, a, I'm just one person editing the thing. And I was like, okay, I don't have time if people, a bunch of people are sending it. So I knew I wouldn't be publishing a lot. And I was getting inquiries, but I also wanted to make sure, because there was times when I'd go through ebbs and flows after I think a year, depending on how much work I had of publishing. And I'm like, I don't want people to submit here and then me not have this active. I need to make sure that. And so I waited for a year and a half to see like, is this a legitimate thing? Are people coming back? Is there an audience here that if people publish with me, because I, I am picky in many ways, but so that means I might ask them to do like minor rewrites or major rewrites sometimes. And if they don't want to, that's fine. But like, if they publish with me, I want to make sure that there's an audience there who are coming back and I'll see their stuff. And after a year and a half, I was like, okay, this, you know, this thing has some legs and I will open up the doors to the, to the thing. I feel like I've not come across any other publication like yours either, like someone who does so much literary comedy and in history as well. I mean, I know McSweeney's does those topics, but I feel like the addition of your cartoons, like really separate it. Like you're like a much more silly 
version, you know? I'm a very non-serious version of mixed videos, maybe. I think someone <laughs> said that to me once. But yeah, I'm very yeah. I'm very silly. Um, and I enjoy, I kind of I have finally embraced that. I'm also very dark. Oh yeah, for sure. I, it has been pointed out. <laughs> um, so that's not everyone's taste either. I personally love it. <laughs> I do too, but I, I, it has been, it has been noted. We're, we're like, this is so, I, I think the piece that was a little bit too dark, like when you write, have you ever gotten comments where people don't realize it's satire and then they <laughs> are really aggressive about it? <laughs> I haven't gotten any of those, but I've heard of people who do and it, it still blows me away when you get satire confused with actual <laughs> truth. <laughs> I, I wrote a piece like based on the, the the alleged short story of Hemingway, the baby shoe one, like, you know, baby shoes for sale, never worn. And mm. I got picked up on some blog or like Quora chat group and they all assumed it was real. And they came to yell at me because they're like, you know what? Like if people want to ask you about this baby, you shouldn't be so upset about it. It's like, there's no baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which I think was the point of the original story too, but also there's no baby. <laughs> look at anything else on the site until you tell me you think this is serious yeah there's and then i think there was another one um it was right after the youtuber rehomed her son and i i feel kind of mixed about writing this but i was i was so angry at how she talked about it that i wrote this piece and it's it's poking fun at the, the idea of like family branding, which is a very YouTube thing. But I had to keep telling again and again in the comments because this is true. I was like, no, I don't like, I don't think it's just her. I think it's both of them. But also I'm like, I don't judge any family who who realizes that, that you know, that they cannot go through with like they cannot continue to be adoptive parents, especially to special needs children, like 10% of adoptions end because of that reason. And you can't, you know, ultimately, if it's not something you can handle, it's not a good environment for the child. But it was how they talked about it. And that's what I was making fun of. But like, you know, it, it is hard to balance like mean satire sometimes. Like if it's so that's the one I've gotten the most like negative comments on. And I had to look at my look at it and look at myself and go, mm, like, I'll stand by it. But I definitely had to have to probably like be a become a better satire writer to tackle like those kind of tough issues. Right. Yeah. And satire is such a good way of making commentary on stuff like that. So a piece I really loved of yours, and I think it was in the past few months, it was all-in-one products that I, a 30-something woman in 2021, would love to see. And particularly, I loved these lines. As I've gotten older, my pores have stretched. So too has my fear that I'm always going to be a fraud. And I just couldn't stop laughing at that line because I think that all the time in terms of I'm like I'm a fraud and I just thought it was funny thinking about my face aging and the fraud and it just like encapsulated all my feelings about being in my 30s now reading that line I'm like I think I've been grown but anyway looking <laughs> past that, I'm totally gonna go ahead but looking past that um I definitely think it's very hard to get rid of like imposter syndrome especially when you're a humor writer and especially when you're kind of you know I think you just knows too there's there's not a there's there are milestones in comedy like humor writing online this as there are in like other careers and I think like you know I think a lot of the greener pastures people have made it into like really big publications and that's not me and so sometimes I'm like maybe I'm not good at this and I kind of have to really look and go it's fine it might take me a while to kind of crack those but there's plenty of people who haven't and there's plenty of people who have and I just have to i that's part of my biggest um, feeling of like a fraud is that I, you know, I kind of, I'm just writing on my little corner of the internet and I don't know if 
I'm going to ever get out of it. But like, you know, when people say they come up with ideas in the shower. Yeah. Like that's where this piece came from. I just got so tired of seeing my partners just like, you know, three in one body wash, shampoo and conditioner. I'm like, how? (laughs) How? That's ridiculous. They can't do all those things. They all have different functions, don't they? And then I'm, um, and you know, it came also like I wrote, like I've had that idea before, but it was a very different piece. And it was writing about like, you know, dear, like, you know, dear cosmetic gods, please give me a mirror woman and all in one product. And it was written in a very different voice and a very different premise. So like, mm-hmm. you know, this, this has been, that was like a year or two ago. Um, and this is just a different take on it, which is just like, I'm 30 something now. And I, I was just kind of like thinking of the things I would love to have as a, someone who's out there working and just like a little bit older. I would, I would love to see what this looks like in uh, your forties too. So oh. <laughs> I will be tuning in and to check in on that version. <laughs> Another piece of yours I really love is the 12 Days of Christmas, if it were written by Jane Austen. I thought this was a delightful Christmas gift to like log on and read on Christmas Day. You've taken the form of the song of the 12 Days of Christmas and changed it to fit the literary worlds of Jane Austen stories, which is delightful. And I just remember laughing out loud. Can you talk about how you developed this piece? Um, Yeah. So like, actually, that one is a, that one isn't a rewrite. That is one that had a premise like from a year before I'd played with the idea and it didn't work at all. And I don't remember why it didn't work. I think it was mostly one. It didn't have as many illustrations. I think that one benefits from it. And also like, I just kind of added far more. I just added a lot more like common things in the Regency tropes, not just Jane Austen's. Mm. I think that helped a lot, especially I think at this time, when did that come out? Oh yeah. It was was literally December 25th. Um, In what would uh, that movie that series just came out that everyone couldn't stop watching and it was on Netflix and it was Regency. Oh no. Uh, Bridgerton. So I I was like, okay, you know, people may not actually read or like kind of like know the tropes that are in Jane Austen, but they do know Regency tropes. So I kind of like, I I cheated a little with that one. And I just like, you know, it was just, it was something silly for Christmas day at the same time I came up with it. And I love a good 12 days of Christmas satire like there are so many of them out there and all of them are probably good because it's just a fun, anyone can do them. They're so good. And they're always, because everyone will sing along with it. Like that's one of those things Um, I always tell people who are right for me or I'm helping. It's just like, there's nobody owns, no one owns a topic. So like 12 days of Christmas, I would say is a topic and anybody can transform it into their own kind of like take for whatever they're, you know, using for that you know, I'm trying to think of 12 days of someone did 12 days of medium for a blog writing. And that was a very fun <laughs> one. But yeah, honestly, it's just because I, I was just like, you know what, it's Christmas time. I'm I'm a better writer than I was a year ago. I'm gonna make this better. And I and I did. So and also it helped that Bridgerton came out, I'm sure. <laughs> I had no idea that there was Regency mixed in, but that makes sense. And I love that I didn't even notice I was just so enraptured in it, you know, yeah, mm. I, I feel like I was just thinking when you were talking that I think that your publication, your writing in general, like, I kind of feel like it's comfort food for me, like to uh, <laughs> engage with and read and read and enjoy. And I, I don't know, I, I feel like you're one of my uh, satire heroes, humor writing and illustrating he- heroes, because Aww. it's just, uh, it makes me want to produce more you know, and I love how fearless you have been in putting yourself out there consistently. And I mean, you even like give away humor writing tips, you know, and I thought that was so great. I should get more of those out soon. It's definitely been a slower and I have people who have said yes to interviews. It's just, yeah, I'm just, 
I am very behind in that. Um, we are, my partner and I are getting ready to move again. And so it's just, uh, a lot has been happening. I don't know. I think I was just going to say, I think, I, I think that humor writing should just be, it is, it's, I think there's an idea that if you aren't taking very expensive classes sometimes, or, you know, it, it's very hard to learn, but anybody can learn to do anything with enough practice and just like a little bit of help. People teach themselves languages all the time. People teach themselves to sew. And I just want to remind people, like, you, as long as you have like an outline or some guides, you can teach yourself as long as you do it enough. And my notes are kind of to help people, one who are submitting to me, but also any, anywhere. It's like, you know, this isn't uh, this isn't rocket science. It's just, it's an art form. It's a muscle you have to stretch, but you have to do it. You know, you need to stretch it properly or you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt those editor's eyes. Okay. 100%. I love that. Okay, so on your Twitter bio for Jane Austen's Wastebasket, uh, you you refer to f- like panicking and choosing a title. <laughs> and I want to hear about this moment when you were making the publication and uh, panicking. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd already made all the things and then I was going to call it like intrepid. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was going to call it guffaw. And I'm like, but that sounds like I expect people to laugh. And then that just sounds like, you know, pretentious. Uh, and then I was just like looking at, like, I was like, if I close this down, it's just going to delete everything. So I have to do something now. And I thought like, I looked at all I had at the time and it was mostly like literature themed Jane Austen theme. And I'm like, certainly this will be the only thing I ever write forever. And so I just <laughs> did that. And just looking back, I'm like, what a dummy was I. But you know what? It's it's worked. Um, it's a very weird, silly name. And I might just have to explain it in a bio somewhere, I'm sure. But yeah, it's what it is. Uh, I would say to anybody starting their own blog or publication or whatever, just, just, just brainstorm a few names beforehand. Just brainstorm like five names that you're really cool with so you don't end up in that situation. <laughs> I love that it, you kind of get ahead of yourself in like what you want and then you have to like quickly catch up. <laughs> and I think that's such a good example. <laughs> uh, but one reason I think uh, I like another reason, like I love the title of the publication is because I never Jane Austen is like this, like icon. Right. And to think that she had a wastebasket <laughs> where she threw like maybe paper of like bad drafts. Like it was kind of like, I was like, oh, whoa, yeah, she probably did have a wastebasket. And yeah, just to think that icons probably did multiple drafts, it was kind of inspiring, you know? So I think it works twofold for you. It ended up working. I got super lucky. And then I'm like, always when people say the same, they say kind of what you did. They're like, yeah, it's like, you know, the things that aren't going to be like, you know, super highbrow. I'm like, yes, that's what I was thinking at the time, <laughs> at that moment. Yeah, yes. you're, you're a genius. You are brilliant. <laughs> uh so like success looks different for all of us like what what does it look like for you um I would love to eventually find a way to use my humor writing in a career and I don't know what that looks like yet I'm it's taking me a bit longer to figure out than I thought it would but I am trying to see how I can use this silly sense of humor I have in a way that delights others maybe educates them or in a way that just, you know, pays the bills too. And if it doesn't for a while, that's fine. But that's where I would love to see success for me as a humor writer. Um, I hope that for the publication, I don't know, because, you know, it's a, 
it's a, it's a platform that always changes. So I'm trying to make sure I find a way that I can have a home for my humor, no matter what happens. That's cool. I'll be reading for you the entire way. <laughs> Thank you. What is one tip about writing satire or making illustrations that you can leave with us? Don't compare yourself to others. Don't allow where someone else is to make you feel bad about where you are. And I, I know I said that so as someone who talked about why I feel like a fraud. And that's what I'm trying to say. That It's terrible to feel that way. But everyone is on their own path. Everyone has their own very specific voice. You, I mean, it sounds, it's an absolute cliche, but they, they're cliches for a reason. You do you. And you don't think that I'm copying someone. Because if you're... Be true, like if you're being honest with yourself, you'll know if you're copying someone, but you're going to have to start somewhere. So just start doing what makes you happy, what makes you laugh. Pay, and this is a big, this is probably the next biggest one. Pay attention to good criticism because you, you ha- will get better only if you're really noticing, you're like, okay, well, if no one's reading me, is there a reason? Or if people aren't responding well, why aren't they responding well? And use that feedback and keep improving stay true to that voice, but just make sure like I am like the stuff I had back and back, back when has gotten better only because I've paid attention to what's been worked and what hasn't. Yeah. I love all of you are saying it's great. <laughs> so, so that that's it. Oh. Uh, where can everyone find you online? Uh, I have, I have the Twitter. Um, I've heard the Jane Austen waste basket has its own, but then I have a hungry, not a hippo for my main Twitter. And I mostly just retweet because uh, I'm terrible at Twitter. Uh, <laughs> or you can follow my newsletter where I am about to post something about alligators because they are terrifying and I saw one. Uh, but oh Gaffaw is my, uh, at Substack. So I don't know how to do the URL. I'm sure it'll be linked somewhere. But um, Gaffaw is my newsletter. And that has all sorts of human writing tips, like fun illustrations and just things that are happening in my life. And yeah, especially if you want to keep up with either my humor writing I'm doing now or where I'm going. It's not usually just not very rarely a bunch of links. I do audio recordings there as well. So yeah. Thank you so much, Cassie. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next Monday. Until then, be sure to check out Jane Austen's Wastebasket and Greener Pastures on Medium.